0: Unsee the Future uh, The Hopi Chatty Bits Hello and welcome to Unsee the Future The Hopi Chatty Bits with me, Timo Peach The podcast in which I meet artists, solar punks, and changemakers reimagining the stories we think we're in How do we do that? What does that mean? How on earth do we get our head around reframing the frame we use to frame the future? Do we even want to think about the future? Should it be fiction? Should it be fact? Do we test bed or do we just muck around with models instead of actual test beds? All these and more are questions that I plan to launch at my guest this week. And I'm so chuffed to have him on. We could talk for hours, though we won't on this occasion. Uh, I've been getting to know him a bit on a particular group, and I can't wait to introduce him to you. So who is it? Well, in the fifth of this 10-part series, I am meeting a design fiction creative director, creative tech engineer, entrepreneur, and founder of the Near Future Laboratory. He aims to help groups explore futures, chart the unexpected, and transform opportunities into new and tangible forms. His generalist sensitivities combine engineering, design, prototyping, design, fiction, futurist sensibilities, multivariate research and an appreciation of the beautifully mercurial character of the inhabited world, he says, full of the vagaries of real user experiences. He has done so many different things, including a PhD from the History of Consciousness program at UC Santa Cruz. He naturally cohabits the spheres of technology and culture, which gives him a unique perspective into the meaning of new ideas and consulting to global brands on future strategies. He is a champion of design fiction. Here's an accolade. Duncan Burns describes him as a pioneer of design practices and a cultivator of community. Isn't that nice? His contributions are prolific, he says. From brands to books, products to provocative artefacts, his work is often deeply technical, always very human. CEOs and skaters count as his peers and collaborators. The draw is deep and a conversation with him is certainly to unearth insight and the path forward. He says, speaking about the pervading lack of speculative imagination society, if there was a meta why of the whole bag of speculative design, design fiction, design futures, future design, all of it, it is to remind us that we have an imagination and we should learn how to use it all over again. It's my great honour to invite onto the show, welcome, Mr Julian Bleeker. <music> Wow. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) I'm inviting people onto my show, Julian, who uh, I could read for hours, the things they've done, the way they cross-pollinate, the intersectionalities of interest and intellect that make me feel not silly, but extremely curious. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. That was that was an awesome, uh, quite humbling introduction.
0: <laughs> Mate, you've done so much. And I'm interested in the, the pictures of you as somebody who talks so much about design. You've got proper engineers' benches with PCBs and like um, electricity te- testers on it and things. Proper, you know, almost Tesla coils.
1: Yeah, that's right, I do. Every time I go back to the studio, I'm kind of like, man, I... I love that space over there, the workbench. It's, it's an amazing, it, you know, having that ability to make ideas tangible, like super, super quickly, like just being able to swivel over in the chair and go over there and do something is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a core part of, I think not just what I do, but I think the, like a lot of that, that translation of an idea into material form and doing yeah. it quickly, not just kind of like luxuriating and just the pondering in, in you know, and, and, um, Wondering what if, but actually taking it out of your head and into the real world. It's, I, it's a way it, of kind of doing the work.
0: It, it is. Uh, Julie and I love luxuriating in the pondering. Uh, <laughs> you, you get on and, and make things. Now, you do say at the near future laboratory, uh, our goal is to understand how imaginations and hypotheses become materialized to swerve the present into new, more habitable near future worlds mm. that's making things real isn't it that's what you're interested in doing
1: yeah i, I think and and the real is it, it's a it's a spectrum isn't it it's that it's it's anything between uh something with like a high level of visual acuity like the the scene from some los angeles behind me yeah uh, making something that that makes people sort of do a double take and wonder And that's a this was like very much a a, um, this particular representation was just an idea I had while walking my dog. Like, what if this city skyline were full of these aerostats that were generating energy from, you know, from from just a, a generator, like a windmill. And this is something that is is it's it's real, like people actually create these kinds of things. But I don't have like a good, rich visual imaginary of what the world would be like as if these were there. And so, creating things that make people, you know, ask that question, like, "Whoa, what is that?" They ask the question. Yeah. You can start having the conversation to the other end of the spectrum, where you actually uh, physically build a thing. Um, what uh, what I've I've come to learn recently is um, a very precise meaning of like the prototype, which is testing an idea. In, in its actual form, in other words, putting a battery to it, or actually mm. building one of these things and kind of floating it up And so there's a spectrum of things this you know this thing behind me is more of a it's it's a particular kind of design fiction yeah um, it's not it's not real, but it's meant to activate and so sort of translate this idea I had walking the dog into something that has a little bit more tangibility to it to then yes. opening up that conversation
0: well it, it couldn't be more possibly. Californian are you a product of both Californian Technical College and Montessori schooling
1: <laughs> definitely yeah the uh, there's definitely the, I'm, I'm not from California I was I was born and raised um, on the east coast oh ah, right uh but I've spent a lot of time definitely a lot of time here especially this this last um 12 or 13 years and I, I did spend a few years uh, here in gr- in grad school but then moved back east so there's something about california that it, it's it's both a good and a, in, a, in a challenging aspect so california is a very weird uh unique distinctive place um it's very easy to fetishize it you know the california yeah. history and culture and definitely the silicon valley part of it i find that a bit challenging at times
0: yeah but you've wear. done it you've you've actually done it haven't you because on the uh, amato uh product you do so very flirtatiously oh yeah we designed this at venice beach so, <laughs> so you, you definitely <laughs> traded on it
1: oh yeah for, for sure absolutely and there, there was something about yeah i remember i remember when i was thinking about how how much i want to own that part of it and it was at a time when Venice Beach was very much in, uh, in a kind of ascendancy, like sort of the cultural zeitgeist around you know what's going on in Venice. Like there's something yeah. here, and there was a lot more of, uh, I guess, non-Venetians moving in or taking vacations, or it became like right. a destination. And there's there's something about it: the tone, the tonality, the way it smells, um, the 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 kinds of people, the history of it, and that there was a there was a, a note of. A, kind of a little bit of a rebel sensibility that's that sense sort of dissipated fully but at the time it just felt like something that you could really in a way no. as a brand kind of own
0: yeah it just it, it was fun I wanted to be part of the tourism it, it you know it worked I'm still holding out for this same evocation to be true of Bournemouth and I'm and I'm I'm toughing <laughs> it out um, yeah, hold, now, on. Uh, hold on it still happen hold on I don't know whether I'm the kiss of death to that but anyway now I'm thinking we, we talked about Getting things literally onto an engineer's bench. We've we've mentioned design fiction. T- to get into that stuff, I wonder whether the, the the way in is actually the format of your general seminar. Mm. Uh, as you've shared it in the podcast, as you describe a flat round table with no expert in the room of people passionately discussing a topic, you know, of interest. Is that is that a good starting point of view for you? You just want people in a room chatting what if.
1: Yeah, it it's it was uh... It's it's worked out to be good. It's very much an an experiment. Um, I was definitely trying to find ways of facilitating kind of sense making, particularly around some topics that were quite confusing. And I also just wanted to I was you know another experiment in a kind of community building. And it's really kind of it's really taken off. Uh, at, at least as I, I measure it. I mean, they all end up selling out. It's not a huge event, uh, people wise. purpose I keep it to 16 people because I want everyone to be able to participate and have a voice and I think the the discussion kind of you know just sort of saying things out loud is is a very productive way of of doing the the work that I feel like Gemini's General Seminar wants to do which is how people make sense of things which I think happens and starts with discussion
0: yeah yeah no it's a lovely format as well and just that idea of people going well you know we thought about we thought about this, and maybe if this were were the case, what would you, what would it be like? And I guess that was how, where I started to get my head around how design fiction, in particular, can. It's only part of what you do, but it seems quite a, quite a significant part. You your episode on solar punk, for example, using that as a framework to interrogate. It's a really good subject, isn't it, to try and uh, speculative future with future as a verb. Uh, but I love some of the ideas that came back from it. People saying, yeah, you know, well, we were picturing if you were in a, solo, a predominantly solar punk future, how would you punk the solar punk? Is it people <laughs> graffitiing, uh, you know, waste is good, man is a god, go back to throwing things away? Yeah. It's that sort of playfulness that engages immediately the imagination.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of it comes from not having um, a, a lot. You can hold on to like a strong opinion. Uh, yeah. one way or the other, but being open and really working on the listening skills uh, in that, because I think you know it's it's an aspect of I think the kinds of polarization that maybe it's always existed in human social formations, but I, I've been particularly sensitive to I, I think a lot of people have over the last uh, you know six, seven, eight years, how quickly we can l- um, lose our ability to listen and Learn and and understand and 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 try to integrate into uh, our own consciousness, like other points of view, what other people think, and I think a lot of that comes down to, yeah, I guess I guess part of the part of the reason for the the round flat table and no experts is that you're sort of forced to be in a position uh, whereby you are. Yeah, you you are listening, and I almost offer it, it's it it's not so much necessary anymore with general seminar, because I think people get it, but it's like silence is okay. Not that you don't have there doesn't need to be chatter all the time, and in yeah. that silence, like there's real work that's going on in terms of people like wondering, okay, you know, how do I respond to these kinds of things? And there've been some wonderful moments. In general seminar, where there has been someone who articulated, uh, you know, strongly, like a let's say, a contrary point of view to the main, the the main sort of through line of the discussion, and it's just been these beautiful moments of exploration around that, and and finding a way to integrate that into how one thinks about it, and that's I think a key aspect of this kind of sense making or meaning making is to be able to simultaneously occupy, you know, multiple points of view. Yeah. At, you know, in 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 one you know in one brain in in your in one head, and be able to shift perspective and be like, okay, I can kind of see how that how you might feel that way, and that that and in going into that questioning and having it be part of a conversation, so that you have a, a new you know a civil discourse essentially was what it comes down to.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, Serena Ulibari said to me, she's the World Weaver Press editor-in-chief, Solarpunk uh, publisher, amongst other things. And she was mm-hmm. saying, you know, Solarpunk looks different depending on where you are in the world. I think one of the discussions you were having was, uh, you know, what does Solarpunk look like in February in New England, <laughs> as opposed to somewhere subtropical or, or, you know, like Brazil. And we need those different voices, don't we? We need those different takes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was, that was a beautiful moment uh, in, that, in that particular general seminar. And frankly, something that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'd not thought of it, it never sort of, you know, crossed through my mind, uh, maybe has, you know, a lot to do with being in California, but also to do with the, the dominant sort of visual imagery associated with yeah. solar punk, which is a lot of kind of organic form, very verdant, um, colorways, very warm tonalities. And that speaks directly to the point of the way in which, these, uh, you know, these visual imaginaries shape what we think. But you had um, one person, I think it was, I think it was Mark in the general seminar who just said, "Yeah, what is solar punk in Pittsburgh um, in 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 the winter?" Yeah. And I was like, "Man, that's beautiful!" Like it just it just the fact that the beauty of it is like imagining. Okay, that's a that's a great. It's almost like a it's it's a brief. Like you want to go down that path and try to imagine what that looks like and integrate in all the complexity that I think he was suggesting, which is like, yeah, it's all well and good. Uh, to have these kinds of you know very lush kind of jungle like uh, um, visual imaginaries but let's go in this other direction which isn't just to do the project of visualizing it but in the visualizing of it have conversations and reflect upon okay so what do we do with with areas or or, or zones that where solar punk in the solar punk imaginary that are not idealistic
0: that are not
1: that, that have that have a complexity to them and a richness to them. That is actually where the interesting work happens, where it's not just fantasy, it's like, good point. Okay, so what do you do with like melt off? Yes. How does that become part of the solar punk infrastructure? Which has never really, I mean, to my knowledge, has never really been a topic of you know, running a design fiction or even writing a story about what that world looks like. And that's but, fun. I mean, that's where I get excited.
0: Well yeah, exactly. And me too. And and to me, there's something about Solarpunk in particular that's a really useful f- reference because it it immediately conjures images, but it also isn't prescriptive. And and I can picture it in lots of different temperaments. There's a program, I don't know whether you've ever seen it, you might be my sort of vintage but in the States, you might have missed it. In the 70s, an incomparably bleak 1970s British television uh, drama series called Survivors. And because of when it's made and where it's made, it couldn't look rougher. And there's something very solar punk about it, now I think about it. I, I re-watched it about 10 years ago. Uh, it, I would have been very young when it was on the first time in the early 70s. And it's about sort of post-pandemic world, people are having to live post machine and do the basics and there is something sort of bleakly inspiring i think solar punk Mm. can withstand all those different cultural settings
1: yeah and it'd be fun to just you know just run like like i was sort of referring to like running those things through to see what happens in the project of trying to represent those and uh you know i I think when it comes down to it the design fiction question whether it's it's in the context of solar punk or, or otherwise is about essentially creating, you know, going through the project of creating and activating and translating ideas about possibility into more material forms, whether yeah. it starts with a visual representation or it starts with making a, uh, like a, 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 an object or a product that sort of stands in for that particular world, almost like a totem um, yes. or something that was found. Uh, if you, if you kind of run one, one path towards uh, working on doing a design fiction is to imagine that you went to this possible world. It could be future, or it could be just uh, say adjacent, uh, something alongside of where we're at at the moment. And you found some things and you brought them back to the present and you put them on that round flat table and you said, what is this thing? it you know it's got a particular slightly evocative shape and form i kind of it looks like it might be a mobile phone but it doesn't seem to have any kind of interface and you just start running through and asking the questions about what are the things that we find in the world and the point is isn't to do product design the point is primarily to understand what the what the nature of this adjacent world is what are its what is what is this object that you found? What does it imply about the world, about the politics, about the social dynamics, about the kinds of ways in uh, the way sense is made? what are the epistemologies and ontologies of this world as if you're a yeah time traveling archaeologist or anthropologist
0: time-traveling archaeologist anthropologist you're actually putting another very british image in my head from childhood oliver postgate's incredibly charming animation bagpuss mm-hmm. where they the, the whole device is literally an artifact a device every week when these little animated creatures gather around a thing that somebody's brought to the shop it, you're really evoking that of your round table in my head but i think a, a good illustration is the little design museum shorts that you did a, a couple of years ago mm. they're very funny there's so, um, you know, the influencer unboxing a toothbrush that reads tweets or, or, or the guy staping a lost AI poster around the neighborhood. We've been training him for eight months. We're lost without him. It's just that sort of here's an ordinary-looking moment, but with a wonk in it to make you think, ah, uh, this isn't normal reality.
1: Yeah, and that that's the the wonk is the fun part, just that thing that, yeah. uh, you know, um, I sort of think of them as like double-take moments. Like you think you know what you're looking yes. at, but then you would go back and look again and in that moment i don't know what's going on in you know neurophysiologically or whatever but something is happening where all of a sudden you're taken out of the your sense of like expectation and understanding the world and now you don't understand it and you want to make sense of it you want to make meaning of that poster or of that looks like an ordinary toothbrush but wait it's doing something a little bit different yeah. in order to understand you know those those objects like the things around us from a anthropological perspective, they're symptoms of our, of us as a kind of, you know, individually and collectively, symptoms of our consciousness, the things that kind of effervesce out of the way in which we understand the world. And they they speak about society, they speak about culture. And so in the same way, what, what we're trying to do with design fiction uh it, either in that mode with the design museum thing which is a fun little uh side project that nick foster and i did it was it was a lot of fun to to produce those it looks but, it yeah um is is to, is to essentially say this is a world that this might be the world that we that we inhabit in some future if we keep on this path if the if, if you take the trends of today oftentimes what's what the 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 weakest part, I think, of most trends work is that it doesn't make the possible it doesn't make the trend tangible. It mm. doesn't bring it into a way in which I can now I, I feel like I've got a better sense as to what it is. It's often like the trend of today is AR and we're all being wearing AR, AR goggles. And I've yet to in in that particular instance, like understand what that world would be like when that is the case. No one has done the real effective representation of that future. They've just sort of pre-sold it based on often, you know, times very market driven uh, ambitions about what that is. But what is that world when it's not bright and shiny and new? What is that world? What is the world for of of the the AR saturated or the VR saturated world to the to the 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 fellow that sits on on the corner nearby here who has got a cardboard sign that says, you know, spare change? what is their vr world when they have the second third fourth tier crappy bought it at uh, at a flea market vr set and they're wearing it what are they seeing and what are they experiencing yeah. and i don't mean to fetishize you know the you know the, the the situation of like homelessness by any means but i do mean to say we don't really run those worlds through in order to understand the implications of the decisions that we're making today so when we when, when social media first came around, it was nothing but good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to connect yeah, us yeah. in wonderful, beautiful ways. But no one really kind of ran it through to say, okay, but but it could also go this way. <laughs> it could and also be the landscape like that drives yeah. us
0: all mad. Precisely. And, and brings down, uh, to, yeah, exactly, de- democracy. I was thinking, in a way, you're, you know, a great illustration of this is the little video of the guy flicking through the catalogue of, mm. of near future user manuals <laughs> that will still be terrible. It would all, you know, to the girl from Ipanema playing mm. lilting over the top. It was, you know, I see what you did there, immediate, but it was rich as well. Every turn of the page was, yeah, that's what we're really designing into existence is that stage of it when we're not thinking and it's a, not quite right, but we, st- but we now we got to live with it.
1: Yeah, and I think the. It's, it's sometimes a little bit of a challenging because um, at least for myself insofar as I love doing the design fiction work and I love imagining these possible futures. And I also, uh, I don't want to come across as like anti change or anti technology. Cause I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm an engineer. I love making stuff. I love imagining what technology could possibly do. You've got a the- soldering
0: way- iron. I've seen it.
1: Yeah, that's right. I, I do. Have, I've, I have a very elaborate uh, soldering iron. The, the, the the point of it in my mind is to just do the work better not mm-hmm. to make decisions about not doing the work or we should all go back to just uh you know chopping wood and and living in cabins as lovely as that sounds i think that doing b- being better at doing the engineering doing the product design work doing the software design is 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 makes this a component of it and i think when it comes down to it it's just a more effective way of imagining possibility rather than just stopping at the idea and kind of running it through also running through the implications as additional considerations as to what what could be and just you know just to make the work better
0: just to make the work better there's a a, there's a discussion there's so many discussions on the wonderful discord group for near future laboratory one of them was uh, and it's something I've had, had come out of other discussions. The problem with our science fictions is that they're so based on the same, what I would call mm. a cult of engineering, that, you know, it's that whole brainless thing of the next thing, it'll be VR. No, trust me, it'd be great. Well, it it probably will be in 100 years when you're not thinking about this box on your face. Uh, but that that idea of blind allegiance and the frames of reference are all the same. So actually so much of our imagining is just producing more of the the same, right? In, the, in that, in our frames of reference for fiction.
1: Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's been yeah it's been a fun conversation in the Discord to imagine other other uh, I guess sort of undergirding sets of you know principles for future stories. I, I it it stunned me to realize in a kind of fun, beautiful, um, unexpected way that the the futures that I was imagining most thoroughly were were so heavily cyberpunk. So AI is taking over yeah. the world and and all that kind of stuff that I'd really not done the work of considering other possible futures. It, it was, it w- I was stuck in that particular genre. Yeah. And once I realized that, you know, it's slightly embarrassing yeah, that I once I realized that I started looking for other possible ways of imagining future. And then I became even more excited um, in really emphasizing the the potential of the imagination which is mm-hmm. again it feels like a little bit awkward saying it's like yeah of course the imagination has a lot of potential but i feel like the imagination has just not really been activated uh to the degree that you know you can see other possible future world and that's why i got excited about solar punk insofar as it was another imaginary about a possible future i'm not saying it's necessarily the best one or um a you know a great alternative or that you know there's a lot of work that could still go into it but the yeah, I guess I guess what I'm saying is like I grew up with like with with you know Star Trek and Space 1999 mm, and wanting that. to be an astronaut, right? So that the future always meant outer space and I didn't really effectively think about the other possible mm. imaginaries. And so now I this is what I want to do. It's like I want to find ways to remind ourselves that we do have a we have an imagination. It's uh, evolutionarily important. It's maybe the one tool that we can deploy in order to save ourselves from ourselves. And that it's almost like I wanna go all the way back to uh, not myself individually, but like find ways to introduce more uh, active study or curriculums or exercises around building up the imagination and celebrating it Uh, In, in, insofar as the same way that you, you know, you might celebrate sports, like let's, okay, let's do sports. That's all cool. But let's find the exercise regimen, the competitions, the, the, the forms in which the imagination is really brought to bear uh, in order to think about, you know, ways of getting ourselves out of current existential crises.
0: Yeah, exactly, and and I think that's why design fiction appeals to me. Uh, I have come, and I think it's interesting that lots of other people have come separately to the conclusion that this is kind of a central blocking problem of our age, that we've mm. just lost the ability to imagine the future. And it's not hard to you know imagine, well, it's because our attention spans come down, but it's more than that, as you're implying, that cyberpunk reality, which is really just, you know, um, financialized capitalism that that's the future we all think is inevitable and we've just lost the ability to to, in a shared way picture alternatives which is why for me as well solar punk kind of woke up but to me that's the that's the crucial bit of design it's the art it's the fact well design puts art together with engineering but it's that ability to see things differently we need to go back to that basic before we can if you can't picture a future you can't build it can you
1: yeah, that's right, that, and that, it almost starts with that. I, I, yeah. I, I emphasize the kind of visual modality. Of course, there, there are other ones, but I think it's an important one, and it's one that we can, uh, you know, many of us can. We can develop it. We can develop our ability to imagine through visual modalities and and other ones as well. Other other possible, uh, other possible futures, or other just other possible epistemology, other ways of being, yeah. other ways of existing in the world. And I maybe I'm just more sensitive to it. At this particular moment, but I I see that as um, absolutely crucial, and it's even you know like I I feel like a lot of the energy that I've been trying to direct the near future laboratory community towards has been around this, and literally, the point was like I want to do workshops for kids about how to how to how to imagine possible futures, which I think would be just even that that phrase is like, Ah. man, I feel like that would just be so beautiful to find the context and the right institutions and organizations to to do that like how do you imagine the future just as a question not and, and and doing it as a as a as a fun bit of almost like craft level work like the the kinds of things and maybe kids do it nowadays i, I don't know but i used to just you get a big piece of paper yes and a pen or a pencil and you just start drawing yes worlds
0: Yes. Yes. But it's the world building. That's the yeah. kind of exciting thing when we're younger. But then all these cultural kind of markers come in and start corralling it. And so many of our big sci-fis sort of had this enormous gap when it comes to the natural world. And actually, that's the thing that's going to define whether we connect with the stars or not, is whether mm. we reconnect with the dirt that we're made of. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I'm interested to know how the near-future laboratory does this, helps unlock this in business and corporate, often very engineering, very conservative, as, as somebody I know, very senior in these sort of world, said. It's a very conservative uh, world in a, let's say, small C. How do you get them to start futuring in this way and actually getting their heads into the play of fiction in order to imagine a different path altogether, perhaps?
1: Yeah, um, so... Seven or eight years ago, before I got um, sort of distracted by by starting a company, a product company, it was it was a challenge. There the, it, to have a conversation with a senior decision maker about doing futures work, they might say like, "Well, we do that. It's, we have a we have a foresight and trends team," uh, which which wasn't quite what I was imagining. Nowadays, I found it to be much much easier, and I don't know if that's because in those intervening seven or eight years. There's a new crop of folks within these organizations who are maybe more t- attuned to the possibilities of doing things like futures design, speculative design, design fiction. Uh, you know, these are all, all all ways of describing this particular kind of work of translating an idea or working through an idea and representing it in what previously had been some slightly unconventional means. Um, yeah. Means so you know back then we were doing and you know still do we would do for example a a design fiction using the archetype of the unboxing video so you mentioned one that we did as a yes. fun little gag for for the design museum or we might do it as a product manual or we might do it as a as a kind of moment a customer's moment with a with a product or an idea and oftentimes those were they they would unlock potential but they weren't really bases for Making decisions, um, yeah. it was it was always just kind of more a a slightly quirky, uniquely uh, ambitious component of, of a larger design team that might do these kinds of explorations. And now it's uh, it the conversations with um, senior and C level executives is is much easier to the point where it's like I don't really have to even explain it. They're kind of like we want some of that what that you do. And I think for them, it's, they're, they're Mm. doing a few things. One thing is they're trying to find ways to sell their future vision and they want to do it in a way that has the power of story more so than just the star, the the power of, uh, you know, I don't know, I got a great idea. This is what it looks like. They want to, they, they much more sensitive to the ability to activate some other part of an audience's ability to understand what they're talking about mm. um, and want to, you know, want to kind of run it through this way. So for them, it's, it's a lot about trying to um, yeah, sell a, sell a possible future to stakeholders, to a team, to an organization. They want to, you know, want to bring some kind of alignment around it. And yeah. on the side for more, uh, you know, internally within, within design teams, it's just a fresh approach to, I, I think people are getting a little bit tired of like design thinking. As, as a as a as a practice and, well, and also,
0: to- it, it, it's another buzzword isn't it and all these things are, are buzzwords until they can actually tangibly see what it what it means there is um somebody said to me um they think there isn't a ceo in the world that actually knows how they're going to up their uh, environmental social governance to net zero and, and reach net zero there's nobody who actually knows how but the work you're talking about is helping people start to think about the process of how, which is how you stand a chance of getting anywhere near it.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the case. And then there's also just in a, in a pragmatic from a pragmatic perspective, there's the work that you need—the particular kind of work that you need to do to do a an effective design fiction or speculative futures project or futures design project—is that you really need to kind of get into the material in a way that other processes kind of gloss over. So okay. I look at it, and the way I like to do it, it's, it's kind of like bottom up rather than top down. You don't start from whole systems; you start from implications of the possibility mm-hmm. that a whole system exists. So you start identifying areas where there might be some uh, some challenges that need to be looked after more directly than waiting until you've done the kind of top down, top down work. It's, and oftentimes it's, um, you have to, I think people are more prepared to, dig into something where there's a lot of uncertainty and design fiction helps with that. It it sort of, it it assumes that there's a bit of uncertainty to the project. It doesn't assume that you, that uh, it's not a framework where everything is expected to be accounted for, which is, which is always an impossibility. You're sort of starting from that point of, let's see what happens if we kind of run this thing through. It's almost like in the world building, you're building from the bottom up rather than saying, I'm God and I understand everything. And I'm gonna build down, build the system downward.
0: It's it's baking in the uncertainty and being okay with it. That seems a, a crucial component. And the word I use as as the practical application of that is theatre, mm. the storytelling side. I was struck by your conversation with um, Dunn and Raby uh, about their different methodologies for teaching, um, and the difference you had in your experiences between uh, he actually identified it. The difference between prototyping and modelling. And he was talking about, back in the day, all of us are a similar age, late 80s, you couldn't prototype things easily in product design in particular. So you had to just make a model. And everybody knew it was just a model. That's a prop. That's that's a Star Trek theatre prop made out of balsa wood and paint and whatever it is, or some sort of epoxy, so that it looks real, but everybody knows it's not. And that suspension of disbelief without you could think hypothetically about the component parts. Again, like a warp engine, you can hypothetically work out what the components are without it being possible. And that's enough to do some, oh, yeah, what if? Uh, it made me think of marker visuals back in the same era, that when uh, advertising agencies would would mock up marker visuals, the clients knew that they were looking at something uh, un- unreal and not finished. And as soon as we all started just printing out our layouts, in the nineties clients would start picking about typography and spelling and exact use of picture because they were now looking at a sort of finished looking thing. And I thought it was an interesting, the difference between prototyping testing on the bench, which is vital, but starting maybe with a a bit of theater, a prop.
1: Yeah. I I, I thought I liked that, uh, that the where, um, where Tony took that when he was describing that it's, it's been one of the most commented aspects of that, Mm. that discussion the the challenge so my interpretation of it is of the challenge that that obtains when you when you do prototyping in the way he's sort of describing sort of engineering prototyping to see if the thing works is that you're rushing to see if the thing works yes as opposed to you know do you know sort of playing around with material and form and we we um we, we had a great fortune they were they were in LA uh, uh, last week so we got to hang out a bit and we kind of continued that discussion just sitting around a table having coffee and there was the you know he was referring to things like you don't you, you're not really you're anticipating a conclusion is how I interpret you're anticipating inclusion by building something where where it's almost like you you've you've gotten so enmeshed in the the technical details like oh I gotta spend a day trying to get this code to work or I'm gonna wire this thing up that you that it's almost like you're you're trapping yourself along yeah. a particular trajectory and you're not allowing yourself that kind of that wonderful opportunity to kind of explore around it. It's like, I don't no, we've gone down this path. So yeah. there's no getting out of it. This is this is where we're going. It's and the I, think problem,
0: that- I was just going to say it's the problem that engineer, I've said to engineers many times. You guys, if you're given the wrong brief, will design the wrong thing really well. And it's that <laughs> you know the single-minded. I must all the way, and it's great yeah. to geek off, but you can end up being right down a blind alley. And I'd say I think what we're implying here is that's the problem of our whole culture, isn't it?
1: I, I think to so. I think to agree, yes, and and I and I, I feel a little bit of um. I, I feel val- I feel okay saying it because I am an engineer and I, you and are, I and yes. identify with it uh, completely. I understand that that impulse to like, to satisfy a particular kind of curiosity, which is like, can I build this thing? Can I make it work? I just lost the last two days beautifully, uh, effectively doing that with a, with a, with a small, uh, you know, I would almost refer to it as like a toy project that I, I, it just, an idea that got stuck in my head, walking the dog, literally that I was like, I gotta go sit down and I gotta, I just gotta run this thing through. Um, and I know that feeling of just one, okay, just one more thing. I'm going to get this done. It's going to work and it's going to be beautiful. Everyone's going to love this thing. It's going to be the most spe- spectacular thing. It'll bring me accolades and that feeling that I love <laughs> of, of just kind of luxuriating and the satisfaction of having done it, despite what it means to people, despite what it makes other people feel. And I think that's one of the challenges of engineering culture, at least the one that I came up in and engineering uh, ways of, being and operating is that it we are never really taught to kind of um any other way of operating mm. we're not really taught um how to what other modalities of imagining and of modeling and of and of running ideas through should engineers also be really good at at storytelling at visual storytelling at yeah. making little films uh documenting their processes of like different techniques that you can use to step back from the the almost like almost like hypnotic state of being engaged in solving an engineering problem to where and you lose everything else that flow state that everyone fetishizes when yeah. you're coding i'm in flow it's like maybe there should be ways of kind of of, of channeling that kind of energy in other directions at during particular stages of, of development work where and you, you just kind so- of like what do we do what else can we do what what are we missing here yeah or what 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 adjacent possibility are we ignoring? Should we make this thing out of jello rather than uh, circuit boards? What would it? What would a teapot version of this? If we took this brief and we turned it, if we took what we're doing and made the unboxing video after we first kind of get the first prototyping done, what does that teach us about what we're doing? I love that. Uh, is
0: there an adjacent thing where we could make it out of jello? Mm-hmm. I, I'm conscious that um, I, I want to let you go and get on with the rest of your busy day, but I always ask my guests. Um, for an ancestral artefact, hmm. for a notion or uh, a, an actual symbolic item, uh, a something, a thought to leave forward for others as a, a symbol of the direction you're hoping will will go. Does anything come to mind?
1: Um, the, the thing that comes to mind uh, is something, let's see, is there a... I thought I thought of like a of a design fiction that would be something that would imply that there was a time when <laughs> sounds stupid when uh, it was it was illegal to water your lawns. This is a very California thing because it <laughs> drives me nuts how much lawn watering there's happening as if there's an infinite supply of water. So I was just I was thinking you know as I, I'm thinking of um, uh, hardscaping my my house so we don't have to use water to irrigate the property. Right. And I'm trying to I'm trying to describe the way in which that would be the new normal. In other words, you wouldn't even think about d- having anything that requires lots of you know watering every other day. Mm. Um, that's probably totally not what you're asking, but it's the thing that, that popped in my mind.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a very specific kind of geeky engineering solution to like your you context. Dug,
1: like if you dug, like if you found like a you found like a um, a, a flyer from the city. That said yeah. it, that 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 implied that there was this world that maybe for like a generation. You gotta yeah. live through. It, it's like the only thing you can use water for is like, you know, is for is for cooking and brushing your teeth. Maybe not even brushing your teeth. Yeah. Any other yeah. use of water. So there'd be like a newspaper article about some, you know, some uh some someone someone of note who was caught uh using using water to um water their indoor plants
0: yes what are you some kind of 18th century king in france with with lawns yeah this is mad look i've got a last thought i think and it i mean this is a whole nother conversation that you i understand studied under donna Haraway. but i'm thinking Mm. simply of the title of her last book staying with the trouble yeah it's got a very philosophical and even indigenous implication to that Mm. just the title but is that the implication of your work and what we must do in trying to sort out more human futures—have we got to sit with the trouble?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've I've learned so much uh, from from Donna Haraway as a as a teacher and as a mentor, and as as someone who floats around in my consciousness um, quite routinely. I often think very deeply about the things that I've learned from her and learned through her, and the things that I've learned from her that I see through. Um, you know other other kinds of work. So I think that's a her very succinct way of putting it, and and much richer way in which she wrote about it in that book mm. is, is very much it's it's sort of you know almost being comfortable with in 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 the cases she puts it you know the the trouble the challenges and the uh, the uncertainty. I think for me it, it's it's being comfortable with uncertainty. Yes, is is another translation of that
0: mate i have to say you are yet another example of somebody who for whom the word generalist does no kind of justice at all (laughs) yeah my Uh, curse deeply deeply interesting we'll have a whole conversation about generalism another time i would love Uh, to julian thank you so much for joining me on unsee the future it's been an absolute delight to get this time with you
1: it's my been my pleasure it's been very nice to meet you and have you in the discord and yeah, it's just like a. I feel like a beautiful new, new um, conversation unfolding through uh, through us meeting.
0: Uh, I'll see you on the Discord, mate. There's so many beautiful new conversations to have, Julian Bleecker, Thanks, man. Take care. See ya. Unsee the future. I urge you to check out Julian Bleeker and his work, his own website, julianbleeker.com, and also the Near Future Laboratory. All the links will be down below in the full page of this at unseethefuture.com. And there we are. What an interesting introduction. Even I, as a sort of theatre-minded designer, am am still getting my head around design fiction. And in one sense, it's another buzzword like design thinking. Uh, We used to just call that design. I used to say quite snottily, but sometimes reframing things you know helps other people get it in a new way and uh, that's definitely what the near future laboratory does it's helping you think about the very tools about how you frame things in the first place so you don't get a load of assumptive data in there mate assumptive data corrupting the flow so do check out julian's work and the near future laboratory it's a fascinating discord i get to be part of uh, and i've met some interesting people in there already how do we unsee the future how do we change the story we think we're in i think it is the single primary job of our generation to arrest collapse and to transform turn inside out uh, the fearsome the fearsome story that we currently feel that we're in another world is possible let's encourage the more hopeful human tomorrow i've been timo peach see you next time on unsee the future and of course the momo tempo single is out how big get it now so Discover more links and video and reading on the blog of this post at unseethefuture.com And be the first to get the future in your inbox. Subscribe to the Momo memos at unseethefuture.com forward slash amigos. Listen, read, ponder and share. Do. Unsee the Future is a Momo Tempo production. Obviously.